The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Joining us for episode 49 of The Boys of Tech for Monday the 18th of January 2010. In fact, the very first show for 2010. I'm Edwin Herman and as usual, Brett King joins us over Skype to co-host the show. Welcome along, Brett. Howdy. Brett, uh, how was your, your Christmas break? Oh, it was pretty good. Have you worked Could off have been longer. Ex- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's ne- never long enough. Have you worked off the extra food you had over the, over the break? Uh, not quite yet. Working up to it. I'm not even bothering. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> Tell you what, we'll find out more about what you did over the break in just a little while. In the meantime, it's time to introduce our guest this week. When he's not breaking names suppression orders, he's busy blogging about politics. Our guest is Cameron Slater, or more commonly known as The Whale. Welcome on board, Whale. How are you, Edwin and Brett? Yeah, very good, thanks. Hey, look, it's it's really nice to have you on the show. And how was your break, by the way? Break? What's a break? What, oh yeah. <laughs> you keep blogging, right? Uh, yeah. I know I took four days off and took the kids uh, to the Kaimanawa Ranges to do a bit of, you know, hunting and, and bush work and, you know, roughing it. Um, oh, good. A bit of the outdoors? Yeah, after my court appearance, uh, I needed a bit of a, you know, break. No cell phones, no... Uh, no laptops, no connection, GPRS connection. So I arranged a couple of friends to put some posts up while I was away. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, now what I did also is um, preloaded about six or seven articles uh, in in the back end and uh, set them with a date. So it appeared that I was still around. Oh, very cunning, very cunning. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no no communications, uh, you know, no away from the annoying media and podcasters like us? Uh, yeah, I was away from them. Um, I think I sent you an email and reply on the way to hunting, and then you didn't hear from me for four days till I got back. So. That's right. I went a little quiet. I wonder what happened. So, in fact, I'll tell you what. Let's um, let's just kick off the show with uh, with your story. In fact, and for those of us who aren't familiar with who you are, I don't think I think there's one person left in New Zealand, possibly that would fit that category. <laughs> Can you just tell us a little bit of uh, you know you're facing charges for breaching name suppression orders? I think is that correct. Um, yeah, I'm facing four charges of breaching name suppression, um, which is under Section 140 uh, Bar 1 of the Criminal Justice Act, and one charge of uh, posting information that could lead to the identity of um, of a victim, and that's uh, Section 139 Bar 1. So tell us how that, how that came about. Is it, That's to do with your – you put that stuff on your blog, didn't you? Um, well, what, how it came about is um, there's been a lot of publicity over the last year uh, of of prominent people that have had name suppression, um, and rightly or wrongly, they've had name suppression. They've been involved in a lot of different uh, things. I looked at name suppression laws around the world and found that actually we were quite unique and uh, the lame suppression laws were written in 1985 and it's kind of been like creeping death with the judges taking a, a view early on in the piece that uh, name suppression should be few and far between and gradually it's increased to the point where if you've got money or fame um, or recognition in, in a particular sport or whatever, then uh, get seeking name suppression and getting it granted is a lot easier for you than, say, the uh, average hoodlum in South Auckland. Mm. So what information did you, uh, I mean, you don't need to tell us in detail, but did did you just go out on your blog and, and say, reveal names of people who, who had name suppression? No, I didn't. Um, what the biggest fuss came about through the entertainer um, who pleaded guilty uh, and was discharged without conviction to performing a lewd act on a 16-year-old. There was an uproar over that, that the judge uh, permanently suppressed his name uh, so it wouldn't affect his career. Now, the guy was a hip-hop star, so I would have thought a conviction of a lewd act with a woman would have actually enhanced his career. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you think so? <laughs> so yeah, that was the, the States, one here the in Wellington, wasn't it? guys shoot people to, get, uh, to, get, you know, to uh, get the popularity that they want. 
Indeed, and there was that um, case a couple of years ago. Oh, what was his name? The the one who performed a concert in Jamaica and had a reverend's daughter come up on stage who was <laughs> underage for that particular venue. Right. <laughs> yes, well, hip-hop stars are notorious, aren't they? So, you know, I, when that came out, there was an uproar. It carried on for a couple more weeks. I got um, annoyed, as I do, um, and uh, posted a couple of pictures um, that uh, I guess alluded to his stage name. Yeah, I I saw those. Uh, I'd actually worked out who that was prior to that, but then I actually also saw your pictures. That I think the whole New Zealand it. knew who he was. I just yep. made a couple of phone calls and, and someone told me. <laughs> really? Well, actually, John Key mentioned that he knew, didn't he? Oh, I think he got it off my blog. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you might be right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, actually, he did say someone told him. So you're right. There, a lot of people did know who it was. So mm. is there a reason why you posted clues and not just went all out and said who it was? Um, yeah, I thought that would be an interesting way to test the boundaries because the law, the way it was written, it was written in 1985. So the law was written five, six years really before um, Vint Cerf and, and the guys got together and worked out TCPIP and, and, and then um, the World Wide Web in 1991. Uh, they had no concept that this was coming. And so they wrote a law that really only covered the print media and television and radio. And uh, the internet is not any of those technologies. Um, it treats, I mean, people have to remember where it originally came from, uh, being, you know, sourced out of DARPANET to start with and then extended from there uh, to universities. It was designed for the US military for um, intact communications after um, a nuclear strike. So it gets around that because there's lots of places you can post this and they're not in New Zealand. Well, so it, you know, it comes down to the police being able to prove that the person who touched the keyboard was the person uh, who posted that. It is an interesting one, actually, this whole name suppression in the internet age, because mm. I'm no lawyer, but I, I'm pretty sure our, our laws, at least for name suppression, only extend as far as our borders. So it would actually be very interesting if someone outside of New Zealand completely, not a, just to keep this very safe, not a Kiwi, never been to New Zealand, uh, post something on a server that's not in New Zealand uh, that, that tells you the name of someone who has name suppression here in New Zealand. I suspect there's nothing they could do at all, and that would be very, very clear cut on that one. Mm. Would you agree on that? Uh, yeah, absolutely clear cut on that. There's no way that uh, New Zealand courts can uh, can exert jurisdiction over uh, foreign companies, foreign countries um, from New Zealand, and they would be laughed laughed at. And particularly in the United States, where there is no name suppression, uh, First Amendment uh, of the Constitution guarantees uh, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. And there's absolutely no way that a New Zealand court is going to ever coerce a um, American company to cough up um, in any details of a of a blogger or a server or the logs or anything like that. Currently, your the charges you're facing uh, for I think uh, breaching and name suppression orders, correct? Correct. So, and and I think they've said just recently uh, on Friday, I think it was, that they're not going to prosecute you for contempt of court. Is that correct? As well? That's right. Yeah, the the charges I've got so far are under the Criminal Justice Act, and they're summary offences. So again, we go back to 1985 when Parliament passed this law, and and we've got the Solicitor General, and we've got a, a silly policeman and a couple of lawyers saying that uh, you know this. What I've done cuts to the uh, heart of our justice system. But if we go back to Parliament when they wrote this law, they didn't think it was that bad because they didn't make it a crime under the Crimes Act. They made it uh, an offence and a summary offence, and they also made the fine a maximum of a thousand dollars. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so they can't, have, and no one ever gets the maximum either. Ever. I mean, you could kill 10 people and you still wouldn't get the maximum in, in New Zealand courts. So I can't see them finding me the maximum. So so you have to go back to, to, to Parliament and think, that well, really, they didn't think it was that bad because it's a $1,000 fine and a summary offence. It doesn't even go on your record. Right. And is that the way it is now? Yes. The law hasn't changed since 1985. Right. Now, you're obviously trying to make a point with this. and Well, you have. I mean, you're probably this week the most famous New Zealander. 
I guess. <laughs> well, I didn't try to make a point. I just put up three blog posts and then the police decided to charge me. Um, before that, um, I couldn't have really cared less. But as soon as they charge me, then that's a fight and I don't back down. I'll say, <laughs> I'll say this about name suppression. When I see that someone's got name suppression, it makes me want to go and find out who that was. Exactly. And this is the point I'm making. If you didn't have name suppression, the news item would be XYZ appeared in court charged with uh, seven offences against a minor. That would be the news. And everyone would go, oh, okay, all right, we won't have to listen to them anymore. And that would be the end of it. But because they make it a secret, everyone wants to know the secret. One of the uh, viewpoints is that with the internet, it's too easy now to break name suppression like, for example, I could do it uh, very easily without any any chance of prosecution by getting a, a, a family member overseas to publish the information. So, whereas, you know, before the internet, it was kind of harder to do. You know, you'd have to publish in newspapers and so yeah, on. And it's so just, long it's as just you not ring a, on a landline and not uh, on a cell phone because, uh, well, the GCSB takes interests in those. Well, they probably take interest in all communications, wouldn't they? Uh, not all. So anyway, the viewpoint that some people have is that in the internet age, it's just too hard and and therefore we should just not even bother with, with name suppression at all because it's just it's too hard to enforce with the internet age. In other words, it's too easy with the internet to get that information out there in a way that could even avoid charges. Well, it's actually worse than that. New Zealand is a very small country. You know, two degrees are running around advertising that we only have two degrees of separation. Uh, that's how they named their, com- their country, yeah. ironically, after a comment on David Farrer's blog. Uh, but th- they say that we have two degrees of separation, so everyone knows someone who knows somebody. Um, the rest of the world is considered to be six degrees six of degrees, separation. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but New Zealand being very small, um, it doesn't take long for you to actually find out the information. So in the case of the Nelson person, um, I rung someone I knew who lived in Nelson. Um, I basically, from the clues um, the Herald on Sunday published, I knew anyway because of my background in politics, and they confirmed it because Nelson's a small place. So uh, it doesn't take long for news to travel the country. Everyone knows someone who knows someone. It seems weird to me, though, that if they're going to suppress someone's name, they give out some clues. Why, why don't they just, you know... If they yeah, why don't they suppress the whole thing? Yeah, why don't they just say, you know, a man was... Because often you do see news stories like that. In fact, most of them are a, a, a 20... They'll often give the age, and sometimes, not always, but sometimes the occupation, you know, 26-year-old appeared in court on a blah, blah, blah charge. Exactly. Why, why do they have to say, you know, they said it was a New Zealand entertainer in Wellington, etc., and they went on and gave some clues for that one? Why, yeah, why, that why do they do that? They it's, kind of, find out. <laughs> yeah. it's the culture of personality. That's just how it is. New Zealand's a small place, and we try and make um, people who are really nobodies and fleas in, in the in the big picture of the world seem like very important people, and they're they're not. And we've got this this culture of personality that the media have drummed up, and their their sensationalism of an ex MP, a national figure, blah blah blah, all of that is simply ways for them to try and get around the suppression orders. Whereas I'm a, I'm a hell of a lot more blunt and direct, and just uh, crash right in there. And um, what I'm doing, they should have been doing years ago, but they've been neutered by the corporate lawyers. So if you do searches, though, uh, you find a number of people in a number of different forums that have given similar clues. Do you, do you yep. think you've been singled out? or Absolutely. Is it just, right. But I, I, guess you're the, I guess you're the most... Obnoxious. <laughs> obnoxious. <laughs> you put yourself out there, put it that way. I put myself out there, um, but... David Collins, the Solicitor General, has made no secret of the fact that this year he wants to prosecute a blogger and prove a point. Uh, He has made extensive speeches about this very issue. So um, I've got them and the police uh, monitoring my blog 24-7, looking for any breach so that they can smash me around. But they they didn't charge me with contempt of court on the last one. No, I noticed that, uh, yeah. And, and there's an old saying, you know, uh, if they coulda, they woulda. Although I did see in, in one of the stories that they are considering whether they'll lay further charges. So I don't know. If they you, do, you it'll be um, it'll be a charge um, under the what like what I've already been charged for. So possibly another thousand dollar fine. You know, whoopee. Yeah, so, I thought they were um, investigating whether or not they could charge you under the Criminal Justice Act. Yeah, that one. What's all that about? No, that's the same act I've been charged under. 
Oh, is it? Yeah, it's ah. no oh. big deal. It makes oh, it okay. sound big, but oh, it's not. So it's just another, yeah. it'd be another $1,000 <laughs> fine. It's, it's another <laughs> not, it's another a summary. Yeah, it's uh, just another summary offence. And it's right. very interesting, though, because on in that case, using my using the binary code uh, and then the, then the hexadecimal, when you um, decoded those, and it really didn't require th- that many brains to do it, it simply had a name there. No links to any story, no links to any uh, court proceedings, uh, nothing like that. Now, the, the law is very, very specific in that uh, it relates to naming somebody in a report about pr- proceedings in a court. Oh, so you could have put my name there, for example. Well, and it doesn't, running, that doesn't mean you're I, alleging that, I'm, I'm, that I've, I'm the person with name suppression. Correct. I could have said any old name right. there. In fact, that's what I've been doing for the last three days since the police said they were monitoring me. I run a post a day. I call it interesting names, and I just put names up that I found on the internet. Do you think the police will be listening to this podcast? Well, I don't care if they are or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, ha- hello, hello, being the slightest. <laughs> hello, constables. Yeah, hello, constables. <laughs> <laughs> and the SIS and the GCB and all the rest of them. Alrighty, so what does this mean for name suppression on the internet, though? To summarise, what what do you guys think? Uh, is is it is it going to be something that's too hard and we should just drop it? Is it something that we should look at reviewing? What do you guys reckon? I don't think it's a case of too hard. I think it, it, the whole idea of name suppression, particularly around sexual offences, is designed to protect the victim. The problem is, mm. though, is that a lot of the uh, abusers are hiding behind the uh, coattails of the victim and victimising them again uh, by not having their name published. Uh, there's a case of um, Graham Capel, um, you know, a church minister, a prominent politician, um, head of a Christian um, political party. Um, he was charged uh, with sexual offences against a, a unknown uh, person, although a, a young person at the time. And the judge actually um, bothered to think a little bit deeper about suppression orders rather than just slap on a blanket one in, you know, so that they could mm-hmm. uh, get out of the court and make, make the first tee at the Remuera Golf Course. And so he, he thought about it, and he, what he did, and it's, very, it's unique, it hasn't been done since, uh, is suppress the nature of the relationship between the victim and the abuser. Now, what that did is it meant that the news reports couldn't say um, was charged with abusing um, a, you know, a family member um, like they have with, uh, with, the, with the XMP. By saying that, you've identified and isolated down to a very small number of people. But if you suppress the nature of the relationship, as well as the name and details of the victim, and publish the name of of the accused, then the focus goes on the accused and not on the victim, and therefore they're protected. No one wants to know who the victim is. They always want to know who the the abuser is. So the the name of that the the, the person charged wasn't suppressed. That was released immediately. That was released. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, so so the judge said there's no way we can keep this quiet. He's too prominent. So what we'll do is completely tie up and protect the victim uh, with, a, with a suppression order over the nature of the relationship and the victim's details and, and denied suppression to the accused. So the, the focus then went on to the accused, not what he had done or the victim of, of what he did it, who he did it to. Right. And that's the way the law should be. There should be some suppression for victims. But I mm. think victims also should be able to choose to say, no, I'll be named, I'll stand up. Because, I mean, if, if I was a victim, I wouldn't hide. I'd be out there pointing the finger loud and proud, very you know, decisively destroying their reputation for what they did. So you'd be mm. happy for people to know who it was that did something and that it was to you? Yeah, I mean, I've had um, letters, emails from people out there who are victims or their son or their daughter has been a victim, and they've actually asked the police if if they can um, have the suppression order removed so that they can name the attacker against their child, and it's been refused. That's an interesting one. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, it is. I mean, (laughs) there's no consistency. I think there should be very simple rules. Uh, There should be no element of... um, of discretion, uh, you meet this, 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 and this, and that's the end of it. I agree with um, with the whale on this. Uh, there should be 
clear defined rules to protect the victims in those in and you know things that um, identify a victim and those sorts of things as the example that you gave of the the prominent person who was named but the the relationship to the victim and the details of it and the name of the victim itself was all suppressed so that you couldn't work that out but the spotlight was put on the person who was the abuser yeah, the the person who was the perpetrator <laughs> of the crime what they in do. question. That's how it should be. It shouldn't be protecting somebody who's got enough money to pay for it. That's a, a clear abuse of of the law, and I think it is um, quite possibly that the a lot of the the judges' judicial system are trying to get something done quickly and can't be bothered spending the time to work out how to do it nicely to protect the victim but expose the person who should be exposed. And so are instead putting that sort of more blanket, well, we'll just name suppress them all, um, yeah. shove them into that and mm-hmm. it'll be done with. And because as Edwin said, it's, it's not too, and as you said, we're a small nation. It's not too hard to figure these things out. Uh, especially with the amount of information that news media provide you with, the n- amount of hints they give. That's the, the huge issue there, is we're supposed to be all equal under the law. And uh, we have a case where celebrities can essentially buy um, through a, you know, affording a, a competent lawyer, can buy name suppression. And uh, that really should go. Uh, there's no name suppression in in uh, the United States. Uh, the First Amendment guarantees uh, the rights of the media uh, and individuals to free speech and freedom of access. Uh, the United Kingdom uh, has name suppression laws, but is it is very rarely used. In actual fact, if you're a celebrity, you're more likely to get named rather than have suppression. Mm. Uh, Jeffrey Arch is a person who springs to mind. Um, he was charged with perjury, uh, but everyone knew that. Uh, plenty of MPs have been charged with sexual offences. Everyone knows who they are. Uh, so you know, let, let's bring it into line. Let, let's have more openness rather than more closeness. And that's the issue I have with the Law Commission report that's uh, that's out there. Uh, it really is just a once-over-lightly change and their solution uh, from the vested interests of the Law Commission, lawyers and judges, etc., is uh, to increase the penalties. Well, that's not going to stop it. So before we move on, I do want to ask you this. Are you worried about being locked up? I can't be locked up under the existing charges. I could be if they charge me for contempt of court, uh, but they would be very, very silly to do that. Um, uh, That would make me a martyr. That would start the free whale oil campaign, and it would also um, kick off my... Um, yeah, my nuclear option, so to speak. Um, I call it the um, Spartacus effect. And uh, <clears throat> that's uh, that's in place already, locked and loaded. And if I get put in prison, um, there will be multiple whale oils that will pop up everywhere and they'll have no control over it and I'll be sitting in jail, so it's not me. Interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. Don't mess with a whale. <laughs> uh, that's a very wise counsel and uh, many politicians take that under advisement and some ignore it at their peril. <laughs> All righty. All right. Thanks for that. Now, moving on to – there's a number of Google stories out there. In fact, Brett, you were saying uh, before the show that this is kind of like the Google episode. Mm. What's the first Google story we'll kick off with? I guess the, the, the big – well, the big one, the obvious one would be the one about Google doing business in China or perhaps ceasing to do business in China. So Google say that they have been the victim of hacking attempts. They haven't actually said from the Chinese government, but they have said from Chinese IP addresses. Mm. But we think they mean they're accusing the Chinese government and they are now threatening to to pull out of China. Now, remember, they're in there with their search engine, Google.cn, which does filter content as per the Chinese government's directives. Mm -hmm. So what do we make of this? It's yeah, it's it's an interesting, I guess, threat from Google towards the Chinese government. If that is who they believe are the ones who are the perpetrators of the the, the hacking that or the damage that has been done to to Google and to the Gmail accounts of all of the activists and etc. who've been targeted, and they what are they uh, claiming twenty or so other multinational organizations, companies that have been targeted in these uh, attacks from China. So it is a big threat. Google is, you know, a dominating power in the internet game. To have Google pull out of China 
does kind of, I guess it erects more of those great walls of China around them again, and they become more isolated, more isolationists, <laughs> and less of a an, another voice coming in. But it's really inside China, it probably makes no difference at all. <laughs> well, the way I look at it is is both uh, China and Google one hundred percent behind making money. Mm. Uh, Chinese make. Uh, no bones about that. They might be on the surface communist, but they're actually not. They're capitalists with a totalitarian government. Yeah. Uh, so they're all about making money. And so the hacking is rather than malicious, it's political in terms of the dissidents and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's about uh, obtaining information about products that they think that they can make and somebody might have a good idea. Like that fighter jet. <laughs> indeed, yeah, exactly. indeed. Uh, yeah, the one we reported on last year. Mm. And Google's the same. They're all about making money. So if they're talking about leaving China, they're not making money. That's my gut feel is that with the restrictions um, of how things are in China, they're not making money there. Um, there's almost no point to, to, to searching, actually, and uh, they need revenue from ads. Uh, I, I would suggest that uh, Google, which is paid for entirely out of AdSense, um, there's very few other paid-for services that Google has, um, they're not making money in China. And China, Chinese stick to themselves. I mean, you just have to look at the uh, top 100 websites um, for New Zealand on Alexa and uh, have a look at the uh, the Chinese sites that are that are in there and that's from the the large chinese uh, student community here and they're just on on all the time and they're you know on their own social networking sites they're on their own search sites they're on their own version of chats chats yeah things like yeah. that the chinese stick to themselves they, well they, a lot of that's understandable because a lot of those services uh don't offer their products in other languages exactly uh, mm. a good example is twitter it's only available i think in english and japanese now, I'm not criticizing them, but I'm just saying that that lends itself to these other versions of Twitter and other versions of Facebook, other versions of Google, et cetera, et cetera, cropping up in different parts of the world that do cater for their localization. Well, it's yeah. the same in Eastern Europe, you know, with the uh, Serbian Croat type languages, Slavic languages, not really catered for. There's not a lot of people there. And so their own model of Facebook has has, um, has popped up there. Facebook's largely a, a, a Western phenomenon. There's, mm. uh, you know, Western and, and, and you know, English, Spanish, Portuguese base. So... Uh, so what do we think about this? What do we think about Google threatening to leave China? Yeah, what do we think do about we that? Do we really care? Do we really care? <laughs> I think, yeah, it's it's it'll have a, you know, the PR impact that a, a Google doing anything does in the Western world. Inside China, it will not have a huge impact. Well, look, um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you as what, Brett, say, is the Chinese, the, the China's own version of Google, their own search engine is... Baidu, yeah. You know, yeah, Baidu is is the major market share search engine in China. I'll, I'll agree with you that it's not going to make a lot of difference, but for a different reason. A Chinese friend of mine uh, reckons that about 9 out of 10 people in China have this software that lets them get around the Great Firewall of China. And so they are using Google.com and other services like that. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true, but she seems to think so, and she's from there. Well, they're using Google.com, but not Google.cn. Yeah. And, and and Google set that up specifically at the request of the Chinese government. But but it comes down to, to bucks. They've deployed a lot of technology, a lot of money into China, and I just don't think they're making money at it because Google doesn't leave anywhere. They're all about the Borg and uh, assimilation. And uh, I, I think it just comes down to money. They're pouring money into China um, endlessly. And it's not coming back the other way. So you think mm. it's not really about the, the so-called hacking attempts? No, but it's kind of handy to have that as an excuse. As an excuse if you've to been thinking mm. of, um, it's it's you know, definitely a good exit strategy. I suppose yeah, it is. They, they, they can pack up their bags and go, we're leaving for a political reason. Or um, freedom of expression. That's it, yes, that. freedom of expression, the, um, upholding the, you know, the democracy, and democracy uh, the apple pie and the American way, and we're pulling out of China. So everyone will smile and, and applaud. Yes. As opposed to, oh, Google's not As doing opposed well. to, oh, they've... they've Remember, they've, Google's motto, motto, do no evil. 
Yeah, that's so leaving a totalitarian regime and saying that no, we're not going to do business in China anymore. People will jump up and go, "Yes, Google, we love you again." <laughs> Interesting angle. I like it. I'll tell you what, though, that's not going so well for Google, and that's the Nexus One phone that they've had a lot of complaints about. Indeed, they've had they've had quite a few issues with it. The first was it came out with the brand new version of Android, but no developers had any way to develop on it. Even Whoops. though, <laughs> yeah, even though it's a small a small upgrade, but still, <laughs> without supplying that development kit to developers, they weren't going to be getting a lot of buy-in for that. Developers should get it first, if anything. Exactly. It, it should months have come out advance. months in yeah. advance. Months in advance. Yep. Months in advance, and then applications are ready on the launch so that so they can compete with, um, with Apple and the iPhone. And that's where Apple, with their strict hardware control and software control, will um, dominate and they're, and they're maintaining that lead. But again, Google really needs to look at their, their hardware relationships with HTC. They're the hardware maker. They're the up-and-coming hardware maker for cell phones. It used to be that, you know, you bought Nokia gear um, or, or Ericsson. It's not anymore. It's HTC. Yeah, um, and you'll the, find The world a lot has of... moved on from Nokia. Mm. You'll find a lot of the carrier-branded phones are phones that are either coming directly from HTC and have been rebranded or have come from Alcatel. So oh, there's another Alcatel, big player are they still in the game? Mobile. Yeah, Alcatel. Yes, well, you won't see Alcatel being branded wide. very much as Alcatel, but yeah, you're like the Vodafone phones. Yeah, hmm. Several of the phones that are branded Vodafone are actually Alcatels. All of the telecom cabinets that are being upgraded and all of the exchanges are being upgraded with, uh, with Alcatel. Yeah, well, uh, a lot of the, the switching gear and so on is Alcatel. Exactly. Yeah. They've got a... Uh, I, I knew they were there. I didn't... with Telecom. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Well, but they've still got, they're still in the handset market, but yeah. they sell their products to others who rebrand them and on-sell them. On sell yeah. them. So and, the... and, and, and it's not just HTC that we need to, to think about. It's also Huawei. It's a large Chinese company, Huawei, and uh, they're the ones who make the Vodum, and uh, they've got a lot of patents that are based around mobile technology, particularly mm-hmm. you know card and USB type technologies. So HTC and Huawei are, are, are really the new uh, Nokia and Ericsson, um, uh, and they're coming up against uh, you know Apple and, and iPhone. And uh, yeah. I suspect eventually they'll get it right because most people will want a phone that say gives them eighty or ninety percent of the functionality of the iPhone, and that's good enough. Yes. Yeah, I'd say you're right that, there, actually. I think you'd be well, spot on. Well, that's the that's the uh, that's how the Chinese do business. You know, they go and get a, a brand new Honda and uh, take it apart and work out how to make it, and they don't quite make it the same, but, you know, it's a hell of a lot cheaper, so 80% is good enough. Yeah. It's just the concept mm-hmm. that they have, and that's how they do business. So poor old Google's having trouble. They've uh, what with bugs when synchronizing, I think. And yep, they've had some issues with the hardware and also three G um, support. Mm-hmm. But you know what makes it worse though is that people are not just complaining about that, but they they're also complaining at the fact that the support provided by Google is only via email. So they're not happy yeah, with the support model either. I think the, the the most complaining is coming from their inability to make their complaints about the, the phone itself. <laughs> When you don't own the hardware, when the hardware comes from another supplier, um, you're kind of at arm's length from the problems with the hardware, even though it's branded with your name. Mm. Apple, though, puts their name on it. They say it's their hardware, and so they have to own the problem. And when you when you own the problem, you care about the problem. Yeah, because some of the customers are getting bounced between the hardware manufacturer and Google and, exactly. and the mobile carrier, so it's it's a real mess. I mean, there was a lot of problems with the first generation um, of the iPhone, remember? A whole lot of problems um, with upgrading and also the lock-in with the with the telcos. People seem to have forgotten that, you know, as people got around it. Mm-hmm. Do they do carriers still lock phones these days? Yes. Yeah, it doesn't well, take long to get around it, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the iPhone, it, those are all locked if you purchase them anywhere, you know, especially in America, they are all locked to a carrier. Mm-hmm. And so if you're purchasing a cell phone in America, you go around to the different carriers to find the ones that have the phone you want and find which one has the best deal with that phone. But the phone will be locked to that carrier. So that's and still standard practice. If you try to do anything, yeah. Which is why it was so big that the uh, Google's Nexus One was going to be sold uh, in a locked version to T-Mobile, or you can buy 
aka an unlocked version directly from Google. If you're in America. If you're in America. Yeah. We can't do it here yet. But the mm. iPhones we buy here are not locked because you can put them on telecom and telecom tell you you can do that. So I think it, it seems to vary from country to country. Mm. You know, te- telecom are doing that deal where they give you $500 or whatever credit if you take your iPhone to the network. So the phones themselves aren't, uh, here in New Zealand are not locked. Yeah, really? that's interesting. That is interesting because as far as I was aware, you had to, to unlock them to do that. And I know in Were France, you not I, taking them into telecom and telecom doing something to them? I believe that's the case, that they were doing that. Do you think so? We should, I, think they had, I think they were unlocked phones that were... I'm not uh, sure. I think they were selling them unlocked here. I think that was the, the whole... Because I know the first generation that I, I, came through were all locked and had you had to unlock them. I know in the US they were. And you had I'm, to jailbreak them to, when you brought them over to New Zealand to get them to work on any of our networks. Yeah, yeah, the ones bought overseas, absolutely. And I, but I think France is another exception as well, remember, because they've got interesting laws where Apple had to offer their iPhone unlocked in France. They're allowed right. to charge more, but it, that's the way the law is. Oh, remember, perhaps. Remember there was, Maybe that's I think we why covered, the iPhones were so on a, on a, Yeah, well, yeah. Well, yeah, it, Google, Google tried to, uh, not Google, Apple uh, tried to change the model, I guess, of telecommunications uh, with AT&T, uh, and it kind of failed around the rest of the world. They were trying to get a constant little bit from the customers uh, on the calling costs. And that was the deal they originally had with AT&T where they were sharing some of the call costs. Mm. It's the old get a little bit a lot of the time um, equals a lot of money rather than a lot of money up front for a piece of hardware. Mm. In fact, uh, I just found something interesting here. Here's a list of countries where you can sell official unlocked Apple iPhones. Belgium, Czech Republic, Greece, Hong Kong, Italy, Luxembourg, Macau, Malaysia, New Zealand, Philippines, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Singapore, Slovakia, South Africa, Taiwan, Thailand, Turkey, and the UAE. Yeah, interesting. It seems to be a a sort of an American, well, not solely American, but primarily American-driven thing. Yeah, not freedom-loving, are they? Freedom of choice on some things. On some things, yeah, (laughs) no, it's not quite what they... they, uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I like to be saying. In in politics, it's it's freedom. In business, it's not. It's lock-in. Yes. Mm. In business, it's lock-in. When money counts, it's locked in. But you Um, always want to do that Everything else is free. You know, working in IT, people are always, you know, especially in consulting and, and areas like that, you want to lock your client in so they have to keep coming back to you all yeah, it's the time. Yeah, it's better for you as the as the vendor, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to also talk about the story of France wanting to, or looking at, I should say, taxing Google, MSN, Yahoo, and a bunch of other companies <laughs> to subsidize music. Do we disapprove, I take it? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. It seems, seems crazy. Uh, it, it, seems, it does seem really music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what has 99% of Google's search traffic and ad traffic got to do with music? Because oh, people no, find MP3s nothing. from Google, that's why. What yeah, do they? No, they don't. They use LimeWire. Oh, do they? Exactly. <laughs> oh, you'll have to tell me about that. Where can I get that from? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm only role playing. <laughs> I know you're right. Uh, yeah, look, I see, agree. Again, my beef that I have with uh, with the recording companies, I call them old media because they're still stuck in their old uh, ways of doing business, and they're busily going around bullying everybody and uh, making us stick with this old method of doing business. People don't want to buy albums anymore. They want to buy one song on the yeah. album. They want to buy happy one to song pay a they actually liked. <laughs> yeah. And and they want they're happy to pay a buck for it. And that's it. But the recording industry and the movie industry seems to think that when you buy something, you don't own it. And when you buy something, someone else better not be listening to that. Otherwise we'll want an extra fee. And a whole lot lot of very stupid things um, mm. like that. I think if they uh if they you know, got smart about it. I mean, I'll give you an example. I've made over 150 videos on YouTube and I've got about 30 of them uh, with the audio removed from them because the recording industry has said that the background music that I used, even though I had voiceover and original content and a whole lot of other things, matched uh, some of their own songs and I hadn't paid a license for it. Well, how do they know I haven't paid a license for it? And secondly, if I wanted to pay a license for it, how the hell do you do it? 
<laughs> well, you can't. <laughs> they wouldn't give you well, a license. They probably won't let you, yeah. That's their thing. You, can approach you, P, you can approach here in New Zealand at PPNZ, uh, but you're, you, I think you're right. Realistically, as, as Brett said, they probably won't do that. They won't grant it to you. They'll say, no. So why don't they do a deal with uh, YouTube and say, uh, if you want to be a director and use any music, um, you can pay $50 a year. Well, that would be far too logical. <laughs> exactly. Or, or a dollar a video. Right. Yes, that'd be you far too logical for and a dollar of video if it contains uh, copyright music. Yeah, I think I think that's a fantastic idea, and I I, I agree. How hard is that to implement? I know it shouldn't be too hard at all. Buy a license when you upload the video. You know, where's the problem? Absolutely, yeah. I like that idea. So they're, no, but they're they just, want to charge yeah, us thirty bucks not again for an album. Changing their mindset. Well, no, oh, hang on, hang on. They, they don't. They won't even give you the license. Like you can buy the album again, but that's still not a license, license to put it on your YouTube video. No. It, it does seem a bit odd that they won't give you the license. Maybe it's because it's it's too much overhead. But as you said, if they do a deal, a bulk deal with, say, YouTube, where most of the videos are, uh, with, you know, uh, well, how, you know. But is that really, I mean, if I was an artist, and I guess I am in some respect, I have a very open uh, I use Creative Commons licensing. Uh, I'm not so precious to think that I have a monopoly on words. Um, and so I use Creative Commons so that what I, what I say and the things I say can be spread far and wide. Now, if I was an artist, the same musician, I'd feel um, quite um, impressed that somebody had used my music and it would actually spread it further. If someone watched that video and said, oh, I like that song, I wonder what that is, they might go and actually buy it. But by removing the audio, of course, nobody knows that. So it's kind of a, 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 you know, let's face it, it isn't people uploading videos to YouTube that are, uh, are costing the recording companies money. It just isn't. It's not people who are downloading one song or two songs off LimeWire. Again, we go back to China, you know, Thailand, Southeast Asia, huge uh, factories that are just printing out dead set copies of copyrighted material, and they don't care. They yeah. never have, and they never will, and no one will ever bring them into line. So again, it's the 21st century rubbing up against a concept invented in in the 19th century. So the idea of taxing these companies to subsidise the music is just really a completely ludicrous Socialist way of doing it. Dream. <laughs> So it makes no sense, yeah? In yeah it fact, makes absolutely no sense. The, the, you know, the French aren't the only ones with taxes like this. In fact, all of Europe has, has different levies, uh, you know, for private copying. For example, you can buy an MP3 player in Spain, which has a three euro levy for, for copying, and in France it's 25 euro. It's the same MP3 player, a different levy. The fact that these levies exist at all just baffles me. Another example is an inkjet printer. In Belgium, there's 178 euros of levy on that for private copying, right. and, only, and the same one in Germany is only, uh, only attracts a 12 euro. Well, you, you get scalped with an inkjet printer anyway. They sell them very cheap in terms of hardware. Oh, you will, yeah. And, and you run out of ink, and then uh, you know, take your take your wheelbarrow of cash down to the store to get a new uh, new new refill. So the, the, we know why they're doing it. They're saying because people use these printers to copy stuff, and so as a way Prove of compensating. It. Well, I know, but yeah, it, it's, it's, I agree. It's it's crazy. It is a it is one of those bizarre blanket coverages of well some people might copy a book with this sort of printer so we'll put a fee on all of them so that we can ensure that we uh, that somebody is paying for it two things first of all these levies are not even consistent across europe you know 3 euros in one country 25 in another and the other one i the other example i gave is 180 in one country 12 in another so consistency doesn't exist. Secondly, why have these at all? It's a bit like the CD blank CD. Yeah, levy it's in, like in the Canada. CD levies. That why have them at all? Again. Yeah, yeah, it's just bizarre. It is. It's because it's, easy, it's those, easy those option. Big media companies. It's the easy the, option though. That's why. Yeah. It's yeah, like, it's, oh, it's well, you know. leverage from the recording industry, the movie industry. Going, oi, oi, somebody could use that CD to burn off a copy of the Pussycat Dolls' latest CD. I haven't bought a CD in 10 years. Yeah, I can't think, I I can't think. think that the last time I bought a CD, actually. It's been a last while. Year. It's been a while. <laughs> last CD I bought was last year. Do you know what's scary? We're going to get people listening to this podcast going, what's a CD? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. It, it's like really I, we, 
Yeah. <laughs> we, we're going to get a DVD out from the store, you know, for the kids to watch. And uh, my wife and I say, oh, well, let's go choose a video. And they go, DVD, Dad, DVD. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We all but now it's uh, we get the Blu-ray yeah. version, you know. <laughs> yeah. Terminology. Hey, our videos when we started, I remember the first video I ever watched, it was Towering Inferno on a Panasonic player that weighed a ton. Oh, and it would have been an epic experience. I thought it was a great movie. I thought, wow, look at this. This is fantastic. We never have to go to the movies again. And then along (laughs) came the uh, movie industry and decided, well, we should wait longer so that they can maximize their old traditional business models. Mm -hmm. This is supposed to be the Google episode. uh, So you say, Brett. So back Mm -hmm. to another Google story. Apparently, there's going to be some dynamic ads to appear on billboards in Google Maps Street View. Well, that's Fantastic. that's the talk based on um, yeah. some uh, a patent that uh, you know the the Google patent attorneys have churned out, and it is for the placing of adverts on billboards in Street View. So that's the patent. So we think it's probably going to turn into something. And if it does, what what do you guys think about that? I think it's very smart. I think it's smart. I think it's another revenue source for them. Definitely, definitely. look at Google's revenue sources and it's always around advertising. Yeah, Uh, yeah. So that's just another way to do it. It's got some interesting things going on there because part of the patent details an auction system for the getting of, you know, the purchasing of the ad space and who owns the ad space. So if you... Well, Google does. It's a picture. End of story. It's it's digital. (laughs) No one else owns that ad space. Uh, It's a... That's it. It's a picture. It's not the the billboard companies. They own the physical thing, not the virtual thing. Well, it does raise an interesting issue, though. What if a billboard company or or someone who owns the side of a building object to the ads on, on Google Street View? Tough, mm. or uh, do you think... Didums? Didums. That's what I reckon. There should be some sort of recourse to that. You don't want the billboard next to your kid's public school having, you know, what is one of the main things that's advertised around the, the web these days? <laughs> some pornography? <laughs> Google up. doesn't accept pornography ads anyway, so I can't see that being the case. But what if they did? That would be an inter- actually that would be an interesting one. What if they did? And as mm. you said, Brett, what if they put it next to a school? Or what if they put uh, yeah, a competitor's It's not next to a school. It's next to a picture of a school. <laughs> it's not next to a school. There's no kids walking there. It's it's <laughs> true. a virtual. That's true. Right? It's not next to a school. It's yep, next to true. a picture of a school. Ah, uh, but you get into all kinds of the well. Then you get into the nitty gritty of the the privacy and the accuracy debates because there are all these uh, there are courts in different countries who've gone to Google and gone up in arms because their citizens have gotten up in arms because you can see over the hedge into somebody's yard or you could see the license plate on somebody's car or you could tell that that office worker was having a coffee when you drive around (laughs) you can anyway when you drive around this is just a way of virtually driving around. Uh, and so you know, if someone's, um, you know, uh, showing their G-string when they're bending over, they'd show that in real, uh, in real life. And so Google just took a snapshot of that as they went past. It's a capture of a, of a still of real life. It's no different from a photographer who happens to catch that or someone picking their nose or an interesting person coming out of a sex shop. That That's the reality of it is. I don't see why people think it's an invasion of privacy when they're standing on a public footpath and someone takes a photo of them. Now, they're getting a little bit precious, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Brett, but I think what you're saying is more the representation of that, not so much at the fact that they're in, in a photo, but if uh, how it's been represented. Is that correct? Mm. Yes. Yeah, it's I a- look at it from the technology view. It's just simply phenomenal that Google has been able to deploy resources in a lot of countries around the world and get uh, fairly accurate representations of uh, even small towns. You know, um, my father-in-law comes from Mudgee in Australia and um, he can look at the house he was brought up in and he can look at the house of his um, brother. There's even a photo of his brother in the in the ute in the driveway. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. I'm truly amazed as well how at how how many pictures I've got on Street View of, uh, mm. you know, all sorts of places in the world. It's absolutely incredible. In fact, I actually am surprised they even bothered with New Zealand. 
And I don't say that in, in, in a nasty way. It's just that, you know, we're a small country. Okay, we're English speaking, which No, we're pretty something quick to do with on it. the uptake with technology. And so a lot of things uh, get deployed to New Zealand before other places in the world because we've got that number eight mentality where we'll, we'll give something a go. So that a lot of companies do trial things in New Zealand. Yeah, you're right. That. Actually, we, we are a good testing ground for, for technology. That is yeah. true. So that might be something mm. to do with it. Uh, so yeah, Bill. So would you, look, Whale. Well, would you would you mind if if Google had a an ad for something that you perhaps didn't agree with, maybe the Green Party or something, on your house in in Street yeah. View? It's not my house. It's a picture of my house. I couldn't care less. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I'm in two minds about the whole thing. Actually, I I I agree with with what Whale's saying. Like it, it is just a photo after all. It's not your house. It's a photo of your house and so on. But on the other hand, uh, Brett, you make some interesting points. You know, like if someone's deciding to go down the street and have a look virtually and they see something that's not the way it was and they see an ad for something that's perhaps something mm. that's not particularly tasteful, would they like that? You know, or would they? Precisely. And look at the number of, let's take the real estate industry, for example, that link to Google Maps for the locations and the houses that they are, the properties that are for sale. And let's say you're a prospective buyer, because as a relatively recent purchaser of a property, having gone to many real estate agents places, you one of the first things you do once you've found the places in the area you look at is go to the Google Maps view and have a look around. Now, as you said, it's only a picture of a house. It's not the house, but seeing a picture of a house which has billboards advertising things you don't want or things that could be, you know, not quite right or uh, inappropriate are going to put off a lot of people in those sorts of situations from wanting to actually bother to go check out that suburb if there's a dirty, great big billboard there which advertises whatever. Yeah, the billboard will be advertising something completely different from what's on Google. It's it's one of those logical leaps that we can take, but that's <laughs> going to be. I think I think this is going to be an interesting one. I think we all agree they're allowed to do it. Well, actually, do we agree on that? Well, it is. They I mean, are their images. Yeah, it's it is their, their images. Data. They're allowed to do it. Images, yeah. Yeah. it's their data. So they're allowed yeah. to do it. The, the question will be: Will will a lot of people object? And will they will they need to be careful as to what ads they place and where? I guess will, mm. be, will be the question. No, they don't. One of the other ones that. Uh, you know, one of the other possibilities for this, especially when they mention this auction system for the getting of the ads, is if you were a plumber and you've got on Street View, there's your, you know, there's your plumbing shop and there's your signs and those sorts of things. And you happen to have a billboard on your, you know, advertising space that is done on your thing. And it's a competitor's advert that they've bid to have their adverts oh, stuck. superimposed, yeah. yeah superimposed that would be on interesting. the billboard outside your place. And well, their ad mentions your place. outside a picture of your place. outside a picture of your place. It's got nothing to do with you. It's a digital representation made of noughts and ones that happens to come out as a JPEG. <laughs> you sure it doesn't come out as hex that you decode to text and find someone's no, name? Could be, could be. Could be. Um, that's what, that's what you could do. Yes, yeah, what you could do. You could put random names on billboards of people who've had name suppression. Exactly. <laughs> I shouldn't give you these ideas. Oh, I've got plenty more. I'm apparently uh, somebody sent me a uh, a message today on my BlackBerry saying that they're doing something, and I'll just have to trust them. But then again, she uh, acknowledged that I'm the evilest person in the world, so um, she's not she's not going to rip me off. <laughs> <laughs> Never mess with the whale. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're learning that. Okay, so now this there's an interesting story. I I gotta laugh at this one. Uh, Facebook has dismissed rumours that it's going to start charging for use. Wow, <laughs> it's another it's another example of things that aren't true getting blown way out of proportion. Yeah, that's why we're laughing. It's because it, it, it stemmed from a rumour, didn't it? it it's it, it stemmed completely from a fabricated hoax. <laughs> a hoax, yeah. And it's what blown up into this huge. There, there's groups now, aren't there? There's you know, don't charge for Facebook groups on Facebook. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, there's crazy? a lot of fools on Facebook, isn't there? There's a lot of fools everywhere. And, uh, exactly. yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, one, one, one of our MPs today tweeted, why isn't the government advising the people of the latest security hole in Internet Explorer? 
Well, can you imagine that? A press release from the government every every two hours from Microsoft. Yeah. Why is this a the hole in Microsoft? <laughs> why is this the government's job? Right, moving on then. The last thing I want to talk about is really, it's not really a story, but it's just an interesting concept of online privacy. And in fact, Whale, you touched on this just before and you said it, it doesn't exist. Uh, and, you know, there's there's been some interesting talk about if your photo appeared on Facebook, but you know, a photo, not, not just of you, well, but that, that, that you appear in. but yes. Well, anywhere actually online, anywhere, but Facebook, yeah. Facebook is, tends to be the place where people put these things in Flickr. So if you appeared in a photo that was published on the internet somewhere, but not published by you, perhaps it doesn't paint you in a very good light. What can you do about it? And should you be able to do something about it? Essentially, there is no privacy. And I've adopted being a, a blogger and um, having people want to hunt me down and kill kill me because of the things that I say about them, the nasty things I say, and they're being extremely soft-skinned. They try and find out everything they can about me. I've adopted a policy of no secrets. And so uh, everything pretty much about me is um, is available online. You know, contact details on my contact page. There's about 10 different ways to get hold of me. I've um, shared with on my blog my five-year battle with depression. It's not hidden. I've talked about a business failure that I had, you know. So there's two ways you can go. Be open about everything, and then you have nothing to hide and no one can get you or lock it all down tight. But the problem with lock it down tight is that um, you then start restricting the features that you're able to use because of, of the privacy aspects of it. And uh, but what about- you know, I learned that with at, at the bank that I worked in, you can make any system secure, but the more secure you make it, the less people can use it. But what about things that don't involve being online? Like, the, the, like photos, as, as I said before, you're at a party, you're, you're not intending for this party to be published online it's not a blogger's party it just happens that someone snaps you doing something silly and posts it on, on the forever, internet forever hasn't it it's just that it's more widely spread you know I can remember working for large corporates and there'd be a corporate party and someone would get hammered and they'd be face down in a, on the table or something there'd be a photo and a couple of copies made and it'd go around the notice boards well, those boards don't exist anymore. We send emails and we have social networking inside the business or, or whatever. So it's really just an extension of that. Well, you've if, actually touched on something very interesting there because, as you said, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you'd have the reasonable expectation that such a photo might make it round. Yeah, it might, make it, it might make it round, you know, 20, and 30, 40 people. And people would get bored of it. It'd get taken down or covered up by other things. It wouldn't go any further and it wouldn't come back generally. But now it sticks so that's around the thing forever. with technology. Mm. Technology is enabling, not disabling. And uh, mm. this is the thing that our politicians and a lot of people who are new to technology can't grasp the concept about enabling. You know, a classic case of this is um, you know, you know, my brother-in-law. He's intellectually disabled. They wanted to get a, a laptop for him. Now with this MacBook he's got, he's had it for three years uh, sends me an email every day. Um, he's uploading pictures to Picasa, um, attaching them to emails, um, commenting on on Facebook, doing all of those things. And and that's the, the beauty of technology. It becomes enabling. Now, there's some things that you don't want access to. Um, what we're dealing with with here is a guy um, who's really a kid, um, even though he's uh, 37, 38. So there's some aspects of the internet that we need to restrict him from. But the important thing is, is that he can read the weather, read the news, uh, comment on on um, particular things that interest him, and uh, and it's really opened up opened up a whole new world. Whereas before, his world was closed around a workshop and um, and the four other people in his house that he lives in. That's the yeah. thing. Technology is enabling, but but in enabling, it's opening as well, and people. So- yeah. But is, so now that's going to make it harder then for people to try and get photos or, or other things removed of them on the internet that they haven't published themselves. But mm. I, I guess, does it come down to the fact that we should just accept that, that this is just how it is now in the 21st century, that anything you do at a party, after work, even during work or out in the street can be posted online for all and sundry to see and will remain there pretty much forever because the internet never forgets. So I guess, is that just something we have to learn to accept? Well, I mean, I have a um, a rule. You know, people get upset about something that I've said on my blog, and then threaten me with lawyers to remove it. I just tell them to go away. And if they're patient, 
tomorrow it'll be on the second page. Very few people read past the second page. Yes, if you Google, you'll find that. But So if you're looking reality, for it, you'll find it. If you're looking for it, you'll find it, but stumbling across it, almost impossible. And as more content uh, gets piled into the internet on a on a daily basis, um, really, you know, one drunk picture of you is going to quietly disappear over a period of time. Brett, what's your take? Yeah, it is. It is about becoming more accepting and more wise in those sorts of situations. So if you're at a party and somebody's walking around with a camera and you're doing something stupid or you don't want to be caught on film, then you either ask them politely not to take any photos of you or accept the fact that that stupid photo of you is going to end up on Facebook. So the moral is to be wiser. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's nothing we can do about and, it. You can't, and, well, you can't If it ends up it. on Facebook, I hope that the person who took it is a friend who you can ask to take it down. Two things um, about that, and and there are two rules that I've always had. If you're going to put anything online, um, you have the same rules as as if you were writing a postcard. You know, every postman in the country um, that you're sending it to and the country you've sent it from uh, is going to read what's on a postcard. Well, it's the same thing with emails. It's the same thing with your online. So never put anything on there that you wouldn't be comfortable putting um, on a postcard. Oh, absolutely. Of course, got no control over what other people do. Well, that's, yeah, that's, I think, more and more the issue that that I'm I'm talking about. I mean, you know, as you say, you have to take responsibility for what you put online. Yeah. You know, I'm more talking about the issue of other people putting stuff about you online. Well, that's where you have have to have a reputation of not being messed with. You know, don't mess with the whale. It's unlikely photos like that would appear on me, and if they did, the person who did it uh, would suffer the consequences, and they know it. (laughs) (laughs) So be wise. Um, Be wise or be scary. (laughs) Be wise or be scary. (laughs) Be wise or be scary. Avoid people with cameras. Yep. That's some good advice. Now, before we do finish up, Whale, you just sent me something very interesting, uh, which I think you'll are you going to blog about? I think I am going to blog about yeah. it. I think it's quite funny. Okay, I'll, I'll just mention it now. Then you <laughs> you sent me a link. In fact, this is fantastic. On Google Maps, if you ask to travel from Melbourne to Melbourne Airport, where does it take you? Uh, Florida. <laughs> it takes you all the way through Flo- Florida via Hawaii. Yeah. In Japan, I think, as well. Is that right? Via Alice Springs, via Indonesia, Japan, (laughs) Hawaii, Canada. Well, of course you'd want to go to Alice Springs. What a fantastic place. (laughs) I I should do a a, a podcast about my trip around Australia two years ago. Yeah. I I drove right around Australia uh, in 19 days, 15,250 kilometres, and the longest day was 1,400 kilometres in one day. That's a lot of travelling. Now, did you notice on that map when you get to uh, 40, number 40 in your directions, turn left and stay on Miley Terrace, 0.3 kilometres, 41, kayak across the Pacific Ocean, (laughs) entering Japan. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Kayak across the Pacific. Kayak. Wow. (laughs) Hey, this is a joke. They're they're concerned about your health and well-being. (laughs) Kayak, yes, it's very interesting, isn't it? So, how does that work? This is obviously a joke that someone's created. No, it's this not a route. joke. There's obviously a Melbourne airport in Florida, and but why would it say kayak across? Across? Oh, the... well, I don't know. Because I've do, been do... smart on that. It's a kayak across the Pacific Ocean at uh, instruction number one hundred and eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> instruction one hundred and four. Kayak across the Pacific Ocean, entering the United States. Now that's six thousand two hundred and forty-three kilometers. From Japan to Hawaii. So these routes, are these created by people? And is that how it works? I, I don't know how it works. It's, because it's, it just looks a bit suspicious to me. At first, I, I could believe it. But when I see the words like kayak across the Pacific Ocean, <laughs> it, it, that tells me that someone has set up this route somehow. Well, there is a Melbourne International Airport in Florida. Sure, so, okay, I can understand how it gets that mixed up, but the fact that the, the kayaking bit, I don't know. I think I think it's quite possible that they have something funny or humorous for any travel destination which has to cross oh, a large body of water or a large desert or something like that. So it, they've it, probably it, got something interesting in there that if you've planned a journey which crosses an ocean or those sorts of things, it's going to put something interesting in there, maybe something because funny. Because you're stupid, yeah. essentially. But because... It's just, 
they know you're going to take a, you know, they, you're going to fly in a plane or go in a boat, but, you know, they've put kayak because it's funny. Yeah. But, it's in, but you can't do, it doesn't seem to let you do that. When you go, uh, say, Melbourne to Auckland, it says, we could not calculate directions between Melbourne and Auckland. It doesn't let you do it. So how do they, this baffles me. You, I like you, it. It's, it's funny, you know, you but it baffles me. You need to find me. a place in the United States. I just suspect there's some, something human behind well, it. Well, have we checked on Snopes yet? Well, we'll have to do that. And I'll tell you what, you can do that and you can blog it on whaleoil.co.nz. <laughs> whaleoil.co.nz or whaleoil.gotcha.co.nz. So that's, uh, that's your blog, right? Yes. Great. Look, uh, the whale, or otherwise known occasionally by some people as Cameron, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Enjoyed it. Thank you. We did too. And Brad, thank you very much again for co-hosting the show with me. Not a problem, Ed. Always a pleasure. And we'll see everyone again, same time, same place, next week for another episode of The Boys of Tech. Till then, take care. Bye-bye.